Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this time to open up your word, and as we study the story of Abram, and how his faith grew from you introducing yourself to him, to him learning to trust in you, Lord, may we see ourselves in the life of Abram. May we learn how in this life, as we strive to grow in likeness to Christ, Lord, let us learn how to make our faith deeper, richer, firmer in you. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Reveal yourself to us more clearly. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 16 this morning. Genesis chapter 14, verses 1 through 16. Now, last time that we looked at the life of Abram, we looked at Lot and the life of Lot. Is Lot, you remember, Lot is the nephew of Abram. Lot came with Abram to the land of Canaan. He has been with Abram all of this time, but uh, it, God has blessed Abram and Lot to the point where they were unable to, to stay together. They had to split up. Their herds were running over top of one another, and their herdsmen were, were getting in arguments over the best pasture land and the best watering holes. And so Abram went to Lot said, Lot, look before you. Look at the land of promise before you. Look at the land that God has promised. Look at the land. And if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. But if you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. But Lot, he lifted his eyes up and looked outside of the land of promise to Sodom, the city of the world. Oh, man, isn't the grass greener over there in Sodom? Look how much fun they're having at their parties and, and all of those things. And Lot went after the things of the world, and he settled there in Sodom. And today, as we continue the story, we see that his choice of following after the ways of the world uh, come at a high price. So if you have your Bibles there and you found your place, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. In the days of Amraphel, king of Sinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Shadorlamir, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Sinab, king of Adma, Shimabar, Shimabar, king of Zeboim, 
and the king of Bela, that is, Zor. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is, the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Kedlermir, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedlermir and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Raphaim in Ashtaroth, Kernaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shavah, Keriathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is, Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Malachites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hezazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Siddam with Kedlamir, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddam was full of bitumen pits. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their provisions, and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who, dwelled, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mimre, the Amorite, brother of Ishkul, and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. Then Abram, when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Today as we look at this journey of faith, we consider this topic winning the victory. Winning the victory as we look at the victory that Abram won over Kedlamir and his forces and here's the lesson that I want us to, to focus in on today. In this life, you will face many hardships and struggles. Nevertheless, trust in the Lord and seek His will, and He will give you the victory. You say that again. Trust in the Lord and seek His will, 
and he will give you the victory. Well, as we begin to look at this story this morning, the first thing that we notice here, the first thing that we want to look at here is the war between kings. The war between kings. The, the author of Genesis goes, goes in depth here to kind of to build the story, and that kind of lays the situation of what's going on here in the life of Abram. You have here these, this, uh, these battling city-states. This is a time in history where we didn't have the big empires of the world, right? Uh, you rem- remember, we are only 450 to 500 years after Noah's flood. A- and so the world is still growing. People are still multi- multiplying and uh, t- having dominion over the earth. And we haven't seen yet the, the development of, of great nations and these great empires that we will see uh, later on. Uh, 500 years from this point, we'll see Egypt rise as a, a great world power. After them, you see the, uh, the um, well, who was it? Uh, Ninevites. And uh, what were they called? My goodness gracious, I just went blank. That's great. But the Ninevites and, and, and all of their forces, and then the Babylonians, and then after the Babylonians come to, to power, then the Medo-Persians, and then after the Medo-Persian, then the Greeks, and then after the Greeks, then we see the great Roman Empire. But right now, we're not at that point. Right now, you see a lot of great city-states In other words, you have these great big cities, cities of commerce, and they had a king. And he ruled over that great city and and the surrounding towns and villages around that city. But we're starting to see some development uh, of these, uh, these kings coming into cooperation with one another. And that's what we have here. We have Kadlamir. He, he seems to be the, the leader of his group, and he's joined forces with, with three other kings, and, and they seem to begin to build something. You know, they, they become a dominant force in the, the region there. And so you have the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, they have been uh, under the power of Kadlamir for uh, some time now. And the way this all happened, they would, these kings, they would go out. You know, how do you build wealth as a king? Well, you would you'd take your forces and you would go out and you would attack other city-states weaker than you, and you would kind of take everything from them, right? You'd take them captive, take their people captive. You'd rob them of all of their possessions, and you would build wealth. Well, they began to realize now if... If this king is coming down on me and, and I don't have the forces to, to fight him, then maybe I need to go out and kind of make a deal with him. And, and so that's what would happen. These, these great forces would come into these smaller city-states and, and they would uh, kind of flex their muscle a bit. And this smaller city-state would then pay tribute to these greater kings to keep them from coming in and attacking them and basically annihilating their cities. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, they've been doing this with Kadlamir and his three buddies. Uh, They've been paying tribute to him for all of these years, but they finally built an alliance among themselves, and they had five kings total. 
five kings. It was the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela. These five kings, they, they came and they built this alliance. And they said, you know what? We're not going to answer to old Cadlemir anymore. We've had enough of that. Let's build an alliance and let's go up against him and let's defeat him and be free from Cadlemir. That was their plan. That's what they had done. And that's what the author here, he states that. He says, this is what they were doing. And then he goes on to begin to tell us that as these three kings began to go out to war, because that's what they did. We hear in, even in the life of David, when the season when kings go out to war, that is a season during normally the spring and summer, kings would typically go out and they would fight other kingdoms. And so now we see this is the season of war. And Cadlemir and his three buddies, they are going out to war. And the author tells us that they, they, they make this huge path and, and they go and they conquer this king and that king and this people and that people and these other folks and all of this. And they're going and they're conquering, 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 conquering. And then they come to the five kings. The king of Sodom and Gomorrah and their buddies... Five kings against four kings. The author makes sure to point that out. That's very important to the story as we see the life of Abram here. Five kings against the four. And what happens? The four kings beat the five kings. Although the king of Sodom and Gomorrah had built this alliance that they thought we are going to put an end to Shadlamir and his buddies and their reign over us, yet they could not defeat him because Cadlemir and his forces and his buddies, they were too strong. They were too strong. And when Sodom and Gomorrah fell, guess what? Lot fell with them. Lot, as he had, he had gone to Sodom and he had chosen to leave the promised land of God. As he chose to leave the will of God, to stay there in the land of promise. And he put his hope and his trust in the cities of the world. And he settled in Sodom. And so when Sodom fell, Lot fell with him. Dear friends, as we look at that and we see that, we learn this, that when your hope is tied to the world, you suffer the world's defeats. When your hope is tied up in the world, you suffer the world's defeats. A world that is ever-changing. A world that is rotting away. And you put your hope and trust in it, so is your hope. It's fading away. I remember a buddy of mine in high school. He had a, 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 you know, one of those old fixer-upper cars that he had gotten. and Oh, it was sharp. I think it was a Camaro, I believe. 
It was sharp. He had put a lot of time and money into this car. It, the, the paint was just like glass. Beautiful car. Gorgeous. Crank it up. You know, it sounded good. He loved that car. He babied that car. I mean, if he went out somewhere in the car, when he got out, he had tiles that he would put over the rims to keep a dogs from messing on his tires, you know. Uh, he, he didn't want any of that kind of stuff. He polished it day after day. Oh, he loved that car. But then one day, as he was polishing it, he noticed, oh, a scratch! Oh my goodness, a scratch! And it about killed him. It killed him. And you see, that's the way it is when we put our hope in the things of this world. When we find a scratch, we fall apart. Oh my goodness, what would happen if he had erected the thing? His life would have been over. But we see people, and you know people, you may be some of those people. You have so, some things in your life that you're just holding on to. You've got it, and you love it, and you, you baby it, and oh, what would happen if God took it away from you? You see, when we hold on tight to the things of this world, when we put all of our hope and all of our trust in the things of this world, when those things rot, burn, rust, fade away, our hope rots, burns, rusts, and fades away with it. Yesterday we had Miss Dot Mooneyhan's funeral here. I was so impressed that just hearing the family talk about Miss Dot. I love Miss Dot. She was such an inspiration just in the few uh, little bit of time I got to know her. I, I loved her to death. She always had a smile on her face and she always was happy to talk about Jesus. And I noticed yesterday when they talked about her, the, the key word that they used to describe Miss Dot was joy. And they said that in all of her life, she always had joy. Even in times of mourning. Even when she lost her husband and had to bury her husband. Though she mourned the loss of her husband, she never lost her joy. Why? Because her joy was not tied up in her husband. All the times that she had to, when the time that she had to move and sell her home up in Mississippi and move to Louisiana, a home that she loved, when she had to leave that home, she did not lose her joy. Because her hope was not tied up in her, her home. Her hope was not tied up in her husband. Her hope was tied up in her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With whom there is no end. Dear friend, if you tie all of your hope up in the things of this world, when this world is finally destroyed, when this world is gone, you suffer all the loss. Lot suffered loss. 
John chapter 1, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 17. The world, this world, and all of its desires is fading away. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. So we see when your hope is tied to the world, you suffer the world's defeats. But as we continue then, we see Abram becomes an alien Savior. Abram becomes an alien Savior. Now what in the world am I talking about? I'm not talking about a little green guy, you know, a UFO or anything like that. You know what I'm talking about. When I say an alien Savior... When we, we have people who come to the United States and they're foreigners. They're, they're not, they haven't been born here and raised here. What do we call them? We call them aliens, right? Uh, people who come here illegally, we call them illegal aliens. Uh, Abram was an alien savior. He, he was an alien to the land of Canaan. Uh, this was not his, his homeland. It wasn't. He didn't own anything in the land of Canaan. He had his flocks and his herds there, but the land was not his. He was just a sojourner, wandering through the land. He was an alien in the land. And as we, we see here, the, the Scripture points out that, that he was a stranger in this land. He didn't have a dog in the fight. He didn't, he didn't have an alliance with Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't have a, an alliance with Shadlamir. He, he didn't care about any of them. He, he didn't know what was going on with them. He didn't care what was going on, uh, on with them. He was an alien in the land. It, it, the only people he had alliance here was with his neighbors. It says here that Abram, he was living by the oaks of Memre, Memre, uh, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and Aner, these were allies of Abram. I mean, that's the way we do, right? We, we have our neighbors, we, get along, we try to get along with our neighbors. And we want to build a friendship with our neighbors, and that's what Abram did. He had kind of settled in there in this place until he had built an alliance with his neighbors. They, they looked after one another and helped one another out. But he had nothing to do with the fight of Sodom and Gomorrah and Shadlamir. He didn't have a dog in the fight. He could have cared less about what was going on. But when Abram heard that his kinsman Lot had been taken captive, Abram came to attention. Now I want us to point this out here because it's very important to the story. We're going to build on this next week, but, but notice here in the text the, the, the repetition of that word possessions. That, that repetition there is to, to draw our attention to, to this portion of the text. It says here is the main point that, that the writer wants to, to point out to us. It says, so the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it goes on and says it also took the possessions of Lot, who was living in Sodom. And then it ends with, then the, he brought back, Abram brought back all the possessions and he brought uh, of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and his kinsmen and his possessions. And so everything in between those two uses of possessions is where the scripture writer wants to tell us, hey, pay attention, pay attention. Here's the point. 
Here's what I want you to, to see here. Notice here that even though he, he uses this repetition of possessions, it wasn't the idea of possessions that got Abram's attention. Abram doesn't care about the possessions. He doesn't give a rip about the possessions. It says, when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken. You see, so many of us, so many people in this world, they care far more about the possessions than they do about the human life involved. You see people stepping on people crushing people so that they can get ahead in life, right? They can gain position and possessions. Abram cared, couldn't care less about the possessions. He cared about his kinsmen. He cared about Lot. And when he heard that Lot was in trouble, i got to go after Lot. I've got to get Lot. You see, we need to, to get some of that. We need to get some of that. We need to, to get a, a, a hunger to go save people, to rescue them, people who are enslaved. We need to find ourselves in Abram and see where they're headed. Forget about the possessions. Forget about the worldly things and look to the souls who are dying and going to hell. Oh, that we would have a love for people and want to go rescue them. But we see here, he cares nothing about the possessions, but he cares about Lot. And he goes, and he goes to rescue Lot. Now this is wonderful. You know, the whole story has been building up. These four kings, they are a power to be reckoned with. They have conquered this people and that people and this other people. And then they came up against the five kings. And they conquered the five kings. But it says, Abram, he took 318 trained men from his household. You get that? He didn't go to his buddies over there and say, hey, why don't y'all come and join me? No, it says he led forth his trained men. Born in his household, 318 of them. Here's Abram with 318 men against four kings who have destroyed people after people after people after people. He says, I'm going after them. I'm going to get them because I'm going to go save Lot. And what happens? He takes them out. Abram does the impossible. He does the impossible. He does what five kings were unable to do, and he goes and he defeats Chad Lemire and all of his buddies. And he brings back his kinsmen, Lot, along with all the other people that have been taken captive. He accomplishes the impossible. Why? Because Abram is not focused on possessions. He's not focused on the worldly things. He is focused on the will of God. Let me tell you, dear friend, when you trust in the Lord and seek His will, He will give you 
victory. Let me say that again. When you trust in the Lord and seek His will, He will give you the victory. Now, seeking His will is key there. When you trust Him and you seek His will, I'm not saying when you trust Him and you ask Him to give you your will, but when you trust Him and you trust His will and seek His will, then the Lord will give you the victory. Just like He gave it to Abram. Now, does it mean there will be no hard times? Of course not. You think Abram didn't have hard time when he, he took out and chased after these four kings? Oh, the rivers he had to cross and the mountains he had to, to, to climb over. You think he didn't suffer loss? I mean, the, the passage here doesn't tell us that he, he, he lost men, but we know how war works out, don't we? People die in war. People die in battle. And if Abram didn't lose any of his household, he certainly had to take a few lives. Let me just tell you, a man seeking the will of God can't take another man's life and it not do something to him. There's loss there. Emotional, mental loss and taking of another human being's life. Abram suffered loss. We will suffer loss in this life. We will suffer hard times in this life. Nevertheless, when we trust in the Lord and we seek after His will, He will give us the victory. And He will give us the victory in His Son, Jesus Christ. As you see, dear friend, this story about Abram is not just to tell us about how great of a man Abram was. But Abram's story here points us to another alien Savior. Abram points us to Jesus Christ. Abram points us to Jesus Christ because just like Lot, each and every one of us have in some time in our life, if not right now, chased after the world. We've been a part of the world, longing for the world, holding on to the world, enslaved to the world. Enslaved to sin. Enslaved to death. And just like Abram, Jesus Christ came to a land that he was an alien in, a stranger. God Himself took on human flesh and He came and He dwelt among us. He became one of us. He walked the, the streets like we walked the streets. He had aches and pains like we have aches and pains. He suffered loss like we suffer loss. And He did it all perfectly. Never sinning against God the Father. 
And though he was without sin, he went to the cross where he fought our battle in our place. And there on Calvary's cross, he defeated sin and death. He defeated our greatest enemy. And he won the victory for us. God gives us victory because of our alien Savior, Jesus Christ. He won the victory for us. See, Abram is meant to point us to Jesus. Abram, the alien Savior of the land of Canaan, is to point us to Jesus, the divine Savior, the alien Savior who came to this world and died for us to defeat sin and death for us, to free us from our enslavement to sin, to free us from death and the devil, and to give us life everlasting in Him. Dear friend, who is your victor today? Who is your victor? Are you looking to the, the leaders of this world to save you? To give you life and hope? They'll never give it to you. They will always, always fail you. Only one can give you everlasting hope. And that's Jesus Christ. Who is your victor today? Do you trust in Jesus? That's all there is to it. Abram believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God and God saved him. Will you believe God today? Will you trust in Jesus who gave his life for you and was raised to assure your life in him? Will you trust in him today? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great word. Lord, we thank you for the life of, of Abram who teaches us, Lord. And Lord, points us. Points us to the Savior who would come. The Savior who was perfect in every way. The Savior who shed His blood and allowed His body to be broken for us. So that we might have life in Him. Oh Lord, if there are any today, any, do not know Jesus, oh Lord, may their eyes be turned to Jesus. Trust in Him today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>